and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. whatever you can do, please do. Class war, class war, class war. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no one, it's fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, Some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. I have heard all of these narrated stories about how certain people started with nothing and now they're wealthy, they're rich. And if they can do it, so can't you. That's why capitalism's the greatest. That's why it is the most wonderful. That's why it is the most whatever. Oh, it's the most fair. But I want to talk about, for those people who grew up in a middle-class setting, who think they really know poverty, I want to talk to you about what it really is like, especially as you get older and you're in it. If you have a clear mind, and you have limitless hope, Some people say if you have limitless determination, I don't believe determination um, is part of it because um, determination has to do with goal setting. And when you're in poverty, the goal is to just survive. Now understand, there is a difference between surviving and living. 
when you're living you have enough to build with excess you have enough to build with excess when you are surviving you don't have excess you are always one paycheck away from slipping up and moving backwards missing that payment missing this payment missing here not getting this if you end up in the ER and you have to pay four hundred five hundred six hundred dollars that could be crippling for for a family of two that is living paycheck to paycheck that could be crippling for not a few months but a year people often speak about I've heard Fox News do it I've heard other conservative outlets do it about how poverty looks today and how different it is yes poverty looks drastically different than it did 70 years ago or 60 years ago I would hope the world looks different than it did 70 or 60 years ago additionally poverty looks different than it even did when I was a child and I was impoverished I remember in 6th grade this was 1993 going to school when the school started my family didn't have the money for new shoes my my mother hadn't started work yet and my father was out of work because of his heart I remember going to school with shoes that talked in 6th grade okay 11 years old going to school with shoes that talked if you don't know what that means it means the shoes had worn had worn down so much that uh, the front of them were opened the front of them were opened and they flapped like they talked 12 years old or 11 years old at the time um we were poor we were poor but we had a refrigerator we had an old fashioned I think we upgraded soon after my mother got a promotion when she went back to work. Um, we had an old-fashioned washing machine. And when I say old-fashioned, I've never seen one of these things since I was, since I was a kid. Um, it's, it's hard to even describe to you. It had the old rollers. Some of you, if you're old enough, you remember the machines with the old rollers. Um, so that instead of having the spin cycle, what you'd do is you'd reach down into the water and you'd pick up the clothes and you'd run it through these rollers, which would then squeeze out the water. 
Um, it was open while it worked. So there was no cap on it. There may have been at one time, but it was very old. I mean, this thing was probably 1960s, 1950s, 1940s. Um, it was something else. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I don't even remember how we used to get the water out. I don't know if it drained out. I think it drained out. Yeah, I think it drained out. But um, poverty was even different then. Because if we had lived in in town, we wouldn't have had a washing machine. We would have had to go to the laundromat, which... In 1995, we did move into town, <clears throat> and when I, I often by myself went to the laundromat, or I'd go with my mother. Poverty was different even then. We didn't, we actually had cable, because you couldn't get any television reception now, out in the country, we could, so we didn't need cable. We always had the antenna. But when we moved into town, the antennas didn't work, so we needed to get cable. Now, cable was relatively cheap, but for a poor family, what is cheap still is costly. So, you, you know, we didn't have extra crap. We didn't have HBO and Cinemax and all that. We got all that later. Um... After my father passed away uh, in in uh, uh, ninety six, but we started off with just basic cable. Um, that was the really the first time that I had watched Nickelodeon and things like that. Didn't care for any of it. <laughs> Wanted to be outside. Uh, grew up in the country. I loved being outside. You know, um, but. The only time we typically received new clothes was sometime at the beginning of the year, either the end of the summer or in September or early October when my mother returned back to work, did the fall push, and um, brought home, you know, a lot of money. She worked at a place that canned various things throughout the year, um, but she worked on a line for many years that canned apples. That canned apples. Anyway. The face of poverty today is drastically different because the amenities are drastically different. Plus, the needs of the day are drastically different. When I was a child, you still had people working jobs where they were making three-something an hour, four-something an hour, um, at a period of time where everything was going up. So if you're making, and I really need you guys all to think about this, because we often, you know, some of us look back at the late 80s to early 90s, and we say, yeah, but things were so cheap. If you are making 
let's say three fifty an hour. Yeah, three dollars and fifty cents, which was not unheard of in the late eighties, early nineties. If you were making three fifty an hour You were bringing home about a hundred, well not bringing home, I apologize, that's incorrect. You were bringing in about $150 before taxes and probably around 120 after taxes at the end of a 40-hour week. Yes, you heard what I said. Now because of certain governmental price controls which kept necessities um, the prices to necessities low, um, you know, you could skate around that. What helped with skating around it, and what I mean by skating around it, is you could get through the week only with that amount of money. What helped with skating around it was Usually, if you were only making that, you could get welfare. You could get food stamps. So you were, you know, especially if you had kids, that's what kept us off the poverty line is, or not even off the poverty line, because it kind of brought us up to the poverty line. We, my, my parents at, you know, some point was getting like $250 a month in food stamps, which wasn't enough, but it was far better far better than, you know, if we didn't have that. We also had um, uh, government health care. Um, and I don't even, I don't even believe we, we were poor enough to get cash assistance, but maybe, maybe. Most people who were working regular jobs that weren't working, you know, manufacturing and production that wasn't seasonal. Um, well, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. That's incorrect. All I know is there was a lot of poverty. And there was poverty for people who went to work. Um, there were jobs in my community that, you know, it was difficult for black folks to get. And I grew up in a, in a um, small community, but there were just jobs like... A lot of conservatives like to complain about quotas. Oh, well, they had to have this many black people. There were big companies that did better with hiring black folks and Latinos because those big companies had internal quotas than medium-sized companies that were regionally owned and didn't have quotas. And often paid well. Often paid well. They would not hire too many blacks. They would not hire too many Latinos. It was hard to get in there. And one, one job that I held, um, I remember asking, like, well, why is there a lot of black folks that work here? Oh, because when they come in, they're lazy, and they're this, and they're that, and they're this. And... Nobody could say that about me. And one of the things that people would say is, oh my God, I, I can't believe how hard you work. And I'm like, yeah, 
Yeah, that's how my parents were. The hell, well, most, I, I don't mean to be like this, but most black people are da 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 And I'm like, well, that's funny, because most white people have met a da 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 Most black folks give up at about the age of 10 because they realize white folks are just going to trample over them no matter what they do. I wasn't like that. Because of this, though, there was a huge divide. And I mean, walking into a place, white people figured I was going to be lazy and whatever and whatever and what. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And I know it. And I knew it. The number of times, especially throughout my 20s, when I went into a new job, that people would tell me, man, but you work. You work so hard. I mean, I don't mean to be like that, but... It was crazy. Well, you expect that, you're going to get that. If you expect it, you're going to get it. Anyway, when trying to survive on such little, on such little money, now I should say, rent prices back then were not what they are now. You know, you could get a decent... You can rent a decent house for $300. I remember when $300 was considered a high rent in my area. Now those same houses are going for $900 plus. You know, um, you could get a decent apartment for $2 or $250. You know, I remember when that was a ton of money. I remember when you could get a studio. The first apartment I ever looked at was a studio, and it was... um. 275 I think it was that was back in 2000 and that was that was like damn okay that's pretty pretty cheap uh, my first apartment cost 325 you know and it was a decent apartment but when you're trying to live off of that little itty bitty bit of money it's hard to plan outside of Okay, I just got to keep floating. 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 Because that's all you have time for. That's all you have money for, is to just keep floating. I have realized over the years that a lot of companies work off of not only starve, work to offer the market, actually, should I say, because it's time to start speaking about the greed economy, how it actually is. The market, which is these companies and these business people, they work off of a starvation wage model. They work off of a survival model, which is, we will pay you starvation wages, and then we will blame you for not producing how the quality that we want you to produce at when we know if the shoes were flipped and I as a 
supervisor or an executive or a manager was paid what I consider to be starvation level salaries. 80, and some people it would be 80,000, some people it would be 50,000. Some people it would be 120,000, some people it would be 200,000. I know people who are poor right now are laughing, they're like, man, give me that. But there are folks who work in jobs, in middle management, and in and the executive suite who would feel like they are being starved out of their skin if you offered them $80,000, if you offered them um, $120,000 a year. They would quit. But not only would they quit, but they would tell the person that they are insulting them. These are the same people, though, who think it's fine to offer average people starvation and survivalist wages. So, something that undeniably, like every middle class person thinks they understand about poverty, is the amount of stress that is associated with poverty. But I want to try to unpack some of that. I want to try to unpack some of it. Because stress, when it is continuous, fogs the mind. Poverty creates this strange walls closing in effect in everyday life. I remember after college I worked for a um I worked for AmeriCorps at one of the local uh non for profits. And AmeriCorps was paying me starvation wages. They were paying me under minimum wage to work at this place, which I loved working at. I got to acknowledge that. I loved working there. Um, but it literally was understood in AmeriCorps that if you do AmeriCorps, go and get food stamps because you're going to be eligible and you're going to need them. You also want to, up until, um, I can't remember if I actually... I think I had Medicaid too. Yeah, because I think I, I know I was I know I was eligible. Anyway, anyway. Um I was working with a woman who was from the middle class and I mean staunchly suburban upbringing middle class type of person. And she says to me She says to me, she we're doing a workshop class and she says to me that the mind, well, she says in the presentation, because she had to give a presentation, she says, you know, we have to remember that the mind of the people who are impoverished darts. It's hard for them to stay focused on one thing. And as a person who has had up and down concentration problems in life, but when needed, I could focus, <laughs> you know, that was something that my parents were big on, like, no, focus, 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 so you don't mess this up. Um, 
I never attributed it to poverty. I just figure, oh, my mind just, you know, it lags, it's starting, it's this, it's that. No. Poverty produces the type of stress and anxiety that triggers the fight or flight uh, mechanism within the brain. And so I have met people in poverty because, again, spend most of my life there, where it's like there were period, periodic times where their eyes would dart. And I was like, what the hell is that? Why do they keep doing That is not something that I do. Why do they keep doing this? Or they looked bewildered. Or they looked dysfunctional. And it, it occurred to me one day recently that this was the fight or flight. They were suppressing <clears throat> the natural urge to attempt to escape from something that was dangerous, that was injurious, that could harm them. And that something was poverty. Somewhere within them they knew Somewhere within them, they knew this needed to end. The stresses that occur in poverty. When you let, let me let me try to break this down, because. Periodically, you know, middle class people, especially those who um, are now at the lower end of the middle class, you kind of get this. But I want you to think about, you know, if you never have a break on this, right? Think about sitting. You know, the Republicans used this image back in the in the 1990s to con people into into believing that the reason they were poor was because the government was spending too much money oh no ladies and gentlemen see this is something that i've re I've, I've recently realized that's what the government's whole stick was when they talk about taxes they're actually talking about why you're impoverished you're impoverished because the government is spending too much money. No fools. You are not impoverished because the government is spending a lot of money on stuff that people need because corporations are too greedy to give them a living wage. But I want you to imagine this because this, is, this was the imagery that they used. Remember the people sitting at the table, at the kitchen table, looking over bills? That was the image that they used to convey, well, the reason you're, 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 you're losing out on money is because the government's spending too much of it. It's funny that I think that came out in 94, 95. I think it was 94. Six years later, a guy would assume the office who would balloon the deficit and do so really without any 
any real cause. People say, oh, it was 9-11. It wasn't 9-11 that ballooned that deficit. That was the stupid policies of the GOP. But anyway, imagine, imagine sitting at your kitchen table, figuring out your bills for the month. And you sit down and you put into a calculator $15 an hour. Now, let me help you all out with something. $15 an hour would have been an amazing minimum wage in the year 2000. That would have been a hell of a living wage out where I lived. Even though many people who had been on jobs for a long time, jobs in companies that had yet to be bought up by these financialized um, corporations who only cared about making money and didn't care about giving money to the people who actually produced the value in the company. There were people who I worked with who had been in, in this the one particular company that I worked, uh, worked at called J.L. Hammett's. Um, they were making 25 to $30 an hour. And when school specialty who purchased them came in, after a few years, it decided that it wasn't making enough profit. So it was going to cut everybody down and put a ceiling on what you could make. You could only make something like $10, $12 an hour. There were people who took 15 to $20 pay cuts in one year. And they had been there for 30 years. Think about what that does. Think about what that does to the pain that you thought you left behind in your childhood. Because now, now what everything that you believed about capitalism is turned upside on its head. Now, the Republicans spent a lot of money to tell poor people as Republicans were pushing these corporate policies. And champion corporations are always right. They spent a lot of money to tell poor people that it wasn't the policies of the Republicans, it was the policies of the Democrats. And poor people, darting around to find excuses, believed them. But I digress, because I really do, I, I have to go through this, because it is some pain that is just... It squeezes a part of your soul that you didn't realize could be squeezed. Um, you're sitting at your kitchen table and you're figuring out your bills. Sometimes you do this in the kitchen, sometimes in the living room, sometimes, you know, bedroom, whatever. You type in $15 an hour. <clears throat> you type in 40 hours a week. I'm doing no overtime right now. I'm just doing straight 40. So that's $600 for the week. Now, I can hear some person who is making $1,500 a week saying, what, that's, that's plenty good. I, you can live off of that. A person who, haven't, who hasn't had to live off of $600 since $600 a week was considered a good sum of money to work for.
Now, $600 is pre-tax. When you do the math for post-tax, yeah, you might be at, depending on you know what your tax is, you might be at just under $400, I'm sorry, just under $500 or just over $500. It really depends. Let's say you're just um, under $500. So let's say you're at like $490. So $110 goes to taxes, Social Security, and the like. So you're at $490. You take that and you multiply it by four for a month, which is uh, 1960, if my memory is serving me correctly here. 1960. I want you to imagine living... <laughs> surviving off of $1,960 in a year. You might say to yourself, well, that's, that's, that's doable. That's doable. Let's say you have an apartment that is $600. 600 Knock it down. Boom. So now you're at 1360 and by the way, that's a cheap apartment. I know it is. I, I know it is. Um, car insurance? Um, maybe you have insurance insurance? <laughs> of course you're going to have insurance, right? So let's say you have car insurance, 100 bucks, 1260 Um, Medical insurance, $120. 1260, 1240, that's now 1140. And then, I don't know, you know, hopefully you're with a additional person because then you have, you know, double that to work with because then you got to take out your um, internet and cable, um, electric, you know, all, all, all the amenities, right? And that doesn't even count the subscriptions that you have online, including Amazon, things like that. So now, now you're in a bind because now you're below now you're below $1,000 to spend. You could have $800 to spend in a month. That's about $200, and actually it's not $200, because you'll probably have less than $800. That's about $200 every single um, uh, a week to spend, and it won't be, because you'll actually have less than that. Um, you know, you're already down to $1,140. You'd probably, you know, since I didn't put down a number for your electric bill, all of that, I guarantee you that you're below... You know, that $340 difference, it's going to start to evaporate quickly when you put in electric, 
um, your cell phone, um, your internet, things like that. You're under $800 to spend in a month. You don't live off of that. You survive off of it. To feed a grown person, people are like, well, it doesn't really cost that much. And it can be, it can fluctuate, but you don't always want to be eating rice and beans all the time. I know there ain't nothing wrong with rice and beans, but you don't always want to eat that. Periodically, you want to splurge. You want something bigger, better, something that's going to fill you up and make you feel like, oh my God. Now imagine doing this math constantly and having visions and dreams that you want to realize. But every week you you sit down and you do this math, it gets harder and harder to see anything but I just need to survive. The stress that comes from that. People are wondering why folks are picking up guns and snapping and breaking. You know, there was an old saying that was that was coined because this happened a number of postal workers shot up workplaces and so people would say oh a person went postal they went postal they went postal they don't really say that anymore in fact there was a there's a there was a joke on the simpsons way back in the 90s about that um bart asked a post office worker about people going postal and the guy said, oh, you know, the days of a gun-toting, um, oh, how did he say it? The days of a disgruntled gun-toting post office worker is long gone, long gone. And that was because they did their people right. They did their people right. My brother was just telling me about a, the wife of a friend who is working as a manager um, in a local post office and she is getting paid 30 something dollars an hour now you may say oh lucky her lucky her oh I hate the post office union there shut up for a minute stop being angry stop listening to right ring radio who is telling you that that's a problem If you're angry because she's making 30-something dollars an hour, and if I remember correctly, it was 37, and you're not, and you want to blame the post office for it, and you want to say that there's something wrong with the post office, and that they should not have the right to, are you stupid? The problem with a lot of white Americans is you have really drunk the goddamn Kool-Aid of these other white people who have been telling you stuff that is just blatantly wrong 
You know why the hell you aren't making $37 an hour and you're a manager at a company that is producing such good profits that they can give their CEO multiple millions of dollars? It is because you aren't as smart as the postal goddamn workers to unionize. Ooh, well, unions only, unions only. You don't know what the hell unions do. You haven't looked into it. You are listening again to right-wing people who hate unions. You don't go to a person who hates dogs but loves cats and ask them to tell you all the great things about dogs. So why are you going to go to people who are literally paid? No, this isn't speculation. This isn't me offering up a conspiracy theory which cannot be proven. This is me telling you something that you yourself, if you weren't so goddamn involved in your own ignorance, in your own anger, you could actually fact-check me, but you don't want to because then you realize that for the last 10 or 15 years you have been wrong. But not only have you been wrong, you have been part of the problem. That these people who are getting paid by big corporations to tell you the negative unionization bullcrap that they're telling you, the pro-corporate spin that they're giving to you, why the hell are you going to go to them and ask them to give you something that is going to benefit you? Why are you going to ask them who have said that they, are, they stated, I'm against unions? Why are you going to go to them and say, well, tell me all the positives about unions? If you want to be ignorant, that's your prerogative, man. But don't come and muddy up my airwaves with it. Folks like to always say, well, this is America, freedom of speech. <laughs> freedom of speech ends when it becomes injurious to a lot of other people. This is why the right wing that exists over here could never get transplanted to places like Germany. This is why Walmart exited stage left when they went over to Germany. Because the crap that they pull over here to stop unionization was not tolerated in Germany. Because Germany knows that what they're using is fascistic tactics. They are using lies and distortions to bend the truth. And because Germany has this weird past... With some fellow with a mustache that bent the truth and took the country into very dark territory and they teach about it instead of talking about, well, 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 we have a problem with critical Nazi theory. They didn't want to hear what the Walmartians had to say about being anti-union. They kicked them the hell out of the country. But see, most of y'all country bumpkins... Hate me if you want. You think you are the smartest people that ever crossed the, the eternal divide to come onto this planet. You really do. And that's why these, these corporate goons prey on you. Because they know you ain't as smart as you think you are. And the people who actually do have the answers... You ain't never going to listen to them because the people you listening to tell you that the folks with the answers are stupid and you believe them. I have P 
pity. Oh, don't pity me. You don't even know what the word pity means. Yeah, I don't care, but don't pity me. You don't know what it means. So what do you mean, don't pity you? Get a goddamn dictionary and look it up before you tell me not to do it. I pity you. But further than that, because that's a lower rung, I have compassion for you. But the difference between me and you is I have compassion because I didn't have to be where you're at to feel where you're at. It helped. But it is out of the compassion that I have that I create solutions and that I partially do this podcast from. I have compassion for you. You have no compassion for me. Oh, well, I'm not soft. You guys are the same mother. <laughs> Who come to me and want to talk to me about what Dr. King stood for. And Dr. King was one of the most compassionate people in the world. Well, I'm not soft. No, you soft. Your head is. You might want to fill it with something. I get why some of you act in this distorted manner. I do. That's where my compassion comes in. My empathy then comes in to force me to embody what you're going through so I can figure it out. See, people think empathy is just simply, well, I feel, I feel what you're going through. No, 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 no. No. Empathy is different. Empathy, when people talk about if you had walked a mile in my shoes, you know, you can't do that. Literally. But what empathy allows you to do is to experience it in a brief moment of insight. And sometimes even it takes that insight some time to unfold. But if you walked a mile in my shoes, okay, well, I really can't. But if over the next two years I think on what I've learned from you and dozens of other people, maybe there's some solutions that I could come up with. And empathy allows you to work and process through those people's paths. So then you can find solutions to the problems that have been presented there. The problem with most people in poverty is, and this is not a knock on them. This is not really a knock on them. There is an incapacity to follow through with thorough demanding solutions. There has to be, and I, it took me a minute to understand this. I was once told this by a, um, uh, well, actually, no, I heard this during a lecture, that there has to be a moment of education, and, or, or not a moment of education, a round of education, where people's minds are reset towards solving problems. Because if you are stuck in a survivalist mode, everything is about getting the next batch of food. Everybody likes to talk about the law of the jungle, the law of the jungle, the law of the jungle, the law of the jungle. The law of the jungle has been distorted. Because if you're a human living in the law in, in the jungle, 
which is the forest, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people like to say jungle and, you know, they conjure these images of Africa. Well, that's fine. But the laws of the jungle in Africa don't resemble anything that white people do. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm serious. See, because I've listened to scholars from Africa and from America who has studied significantly in Africa who actually describe the laws of the, quote, jungle. Now, some of you are still foolish enough to believe that, oh, well, Africans, cannibals, ha, ha, ha. No, no, no. Was there possibly some cannibalism in Africa? Yeah. But did it pale in comparison to the cannibalism that was happening in Europe? Yeah. 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 Significantly so. Especially when you got below the Sahara. Because when you get below the Sahara, you know that whole law of the jungle thing that you're talking about? It's really in effect there because there's a lot of jungle. So I'm not really going to get into a lot of it today, but I want to talk about one of the primary laws, if you can call it a law. In the jungle, scarcity is a non-issue. No, no, no. Did you hear me? See, these people are talking about the law of the jungle. The first thing you have to understand about the jungle is scarcity is a non-issue. So these people are really serious about the law of the jungle and they're like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's dog eat dog. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And even if it was, those, those, those are animals. What, you're a human and you're going, to, you're going to act like an animal? No. For the humans who live in the, what is Central Africa, where there is a lot of rainforest, where there is a lot of um, rivers, and there's a lot of animals and what have you, scarcity isn't a thing. Not even close to being a thing. Why? Because there's animals all over the place. But if there wasn't animals all over the place, you're in the jungle. <laughs> you're in a very warm climate, which, when the atmosphere was balanced, received a really good portion of rain. So you know what you, you, know what you had year-round there? Fruits, vegetables, herbs. In short, ladies and gentlemen... The law of the jungle has nothing to do with scarcity. It has nothing to do with creating war over resources or natural elements. It has nothing to do with creating war over boundaries. Because when there is enough for everybody, what the heck do you need to fight for? What do you need to fight for? You don't. So, the law of the jungle is actually, ladies and gentlemen, respect, honor, and conduct according to both. It's sharing. It is negotiating in good faith. <clears throat> it's brotherhood, sisterhood too. There is a camaraderie 
that is within the jungle that knows scarcity is a myth. There is no scarcity in the jungle. All over the place is food, is water, is the things that build a life. Think about that. I mean, seriously, think about that. All these rich people running around talking about the law of the jungle. They've been lying to you. There isn't stress in the jungle. There's not stress in the jungle. Why? Because humanity understands where it's supposed to be at. And so it doesn't press those boundaries. And nature obliges to allow a man, uh, humanity to be in those places. Is it sometimes that animals can cross to specific places? Yes. But as, you know, one of my elders, Baba Deshaka, said, you know, he witnessed, you know, there was a group of people talking in this mud hut, as they call it over here, and <clears throat> a pretty deadly poisonous snake rattled in. Somebody quickly got a stick, and instead of killing it, shoot it out slowly, gently, towards the door. The snake came into the village, came into the house, came into the hut by accident, pushed it out. Nobody killed it. It went along its way. Everything was good. Poverty doesn't operate based on the law of the jungle. Poverty operates based on the law of the cave, which is a thing that I'll have to talk about some other time. But in the cave, during the Ice Ages, scarcity was real. And so, if you could be in a position to have more than the other person, your survival and your living would be significantly better at least your chances to survive would be significantly better than those who didn't have so that's it um i think that's it i did actually no let me let me say one more thing before i leave um up out of here i do want you guys to understand that the stress is repetitive I, did, I don't know if I communicated that enough. And it is, it is compounding. Because when you yourself is in poverty, and that poverty has no way of being dissuaded. Now, earlier I talked about how people had been working a certain job and they were making, you know, almost $30 an hour after being at a place for, um, you know, 30 years. Some of them were making over $30 an hour, actually. And you might be like, well, how the hell did they get to that? You know how today companies will come to you at the end of the year and give you um, an increase in pay of like 50 cents? It's crazy how in the 1980s, 50 cents would have been seen more favorably. And even then, the companies understood that that was BS. That that was ridiculous. That that was a slap in the face of the average person. 
these guys were telling me about how, you know, they would walk in and they did a great job, a buck 25, a buck, you know, a buck, he, the one guy was like, yeah, one year they gave me a, you know, a buck 75 because, you know, we did extraordinarily well. I hit all the targets, hit all the marks, a buck 75 and boom. He was like, this, this is how we built it up. He's like, look, you know, if you add a dollar, a dollar 25, da, 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 and they get you up to 25 to, you know, $30, after a minute, you don't even expect to get a raise. You don't care because you're living at a level where, you know, if you're making, let's say, $32 an hour, okay, 32, I know most of you were like, man, I freaking wish. You know how you get it? You're gonna, sooner or later, people are just going to have to form massive unions. To hell with the, AI, the, the CIO, AL. I, you know, you guys did great work a century ago, but you're too close to these, to, to these businesses now. My generation can't count on you. You've gotten comfortable. So we need new new labor unions that are going to have to do this. And I see people starting to finally form those labor unions because the older corporate ones, y'all have just gotten too comfortable with being the corporate go-betweens. So you're going to need some new new um, ideas with this. And it's happening, thankfully. The younger generation is stepping up. Um, but $32 an hour, again, I, I said it in my COVID-19 special. If you have not listened to that... Um, it is, it is extensive. It's actually various segments and episodes put together under the COVID banner. That was back in 2020. Go and look at, listen to that. I keep telling people, man, this 40 hour work week junk is, is done. We are going to be going to a 30 hour work week or, or lower because you have more people than you do jobs, which economists predicted this 120 years ago. When they talked about people having more leisure time, they said as more mechanization comes online, this was going to happen. You'd be able to produce more in less time. And the goal originally was, was to get us to a point where you would have tons of leisure time. And you had to work very little to gain what you needed to enjoy that leisure time. We're here. We are here. But let's go... $32 an hour, and let's go 40 hours a week. So you're talking about $1,280 a week. I know. I wish, too. You're probably talking $950. You'd put, a, you'd put a lot more into your 401k if you were making. Think about this. This is, oh, man. Oh, I'm so trying not to let this go too, too much farther. But think about this. If you were making $32 an hour, how much more would you put into your 401k? How much would you have to actually rely on Social Security? Because you could put feasibly $300, $400 in there every single week and not miss it. So let's just say out of that $1,280 a week that you were making, and you brought home $750. $750. Um, think about what could be accomplished, what kind of life you would be living. Think about how much stress-free you would be. 
let me stop because I'll keep going. And this this is already almost an hour long. So question, comments, concerns, you know you guys can always reach out to me. Um, if you can support the show, CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast, um, Cash App, PayPal. If you can support it, guys, a couple of dollars, $2, $5, $10, $20, $50, whatever you can do. Help me out. Help me get this thing um, year-round. This is this is really a year that I'm pushing. I'm hoping to do... I want to be able to do at, you know, at least 52 of them. Um, I'm well on my way to that. I'm well on my way to that, but I want to do at least 52 of them. All right, y'all. Um, I'm your brother, Vimeer Dees. Oh, God, yeah. Till the next one. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns To the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs On the radio talk shows and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend but who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And they're alone